Welcome to the Dr. Dion Show, where real conversations about diversity matter. I'm an educator and consultant specializing in diversity and inclusion. In this show, I interview top experts and people like you and me, highlighting issues like race, gender, and disability. I'm here to create change, expand your understanding of what diversity means, and to continue the mission toward equality so that everyone has a fair shake. This show is not for the faint of heart, so put on your big girl and big boy pants and ride along. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show. I'm so excited. Today I'm joined by one of my good friends. Her name is Miss Eden Abrahams. She is the founding the founder and managing partner at Clear Path Executive Coaching, which is a leadership and development firm. And she's also global head of coaching at Mobius Executive Leadership. Welcome, Eden. Thank you so much, Dion. Or should I say Dr. Dion? Oh, please. We're, we're, we're well beyond. We'll be formal here. Okay. <laughs> a couple of friends sitting around talking. Got it. Imagine us having a glass of wine, having a conversation as we normally do. So that, it's five o'clock somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for coming on today. So today, this, um, this show is entitled The Power of Networking and Having a Side Hustle. Yeah. And you are the perfect person to talk about this. Uh, I'm glad that we kind of had a conversation and organically came up with the topic. So can you just talk about, actually, first tell us who you are, a little yeah. different direction. Yeah. I, know, I know you're a mom, you're an amazing person, but tell, tell our listeners a little more about yourself. Sure. So, right, I am a mom. I have three kids, um, almost 16. 13 and 8, and uh, I'm an executive coach. I've been doing this work now for about 11 years and love it. I feel lucky every day to get up and, and do what I do. Um, and my background, I mean, I don't think anyone really ever just becomes a coach out of college, right? You have to have some gray hairs and you have to have some experience <laughs> your belt and have had a few lessons learned. Um, so the, the path that led me here, and I'll try to be really brief, was through communications and wow. investor relations. And um, in, in the job, the last job I had before I pivoted to coaching, I worked with leadership teams under stress, usually involved in transactions and um, management changes and proxy fights and other types of um, situations where there was a lot at stake and tensions were running high. And so I became very interested in observing the dynamics among and across the team and understanding how the culture of the top team really cascaded down through the organization mm -hmm. uh, and often either resulted in a very healthy and vibrant organization or in a dysfunctional and fear-based organization. And I realized that I wanted to be focusing more on that side of the equation, less on the transactions and the advisory work and more on building relationships with executives and teams to help them be healthier and more impactful and ultimately more successful. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Here you are. Absolutely. So what is a fear-based organization? A fear-based organization, I would say, is the opposite of now what we understand to be really important in organizations, which is the idea of psychological safety, where you can show up as your whole self yes. and be who you are and have um, feel empowered to have a voice, whether that's in an informal meeting with your team or in interactions you're having with other colleagues across the firm. Um, Fear-based organizations, which, you know, there, there are many of them, sadly, even though I think we all intellectually understand why it's not healthy yes. to 
to be a leader of a fear-based organization or certainly to be an employee in one um, result in people not, um, not being engaged, feeling like they can't be their best selves because there's some box that they feel they need to be living in. Um, often fear-based organizations, uh, I would say, are highly focused on results and maybe on process too, but not so much on the people side of things. Yes. So um, there's another sort of interesting side effect if you work in an organization where there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and maybe like a whimsical kind of leadership team that's moving the goalposts or not being huh. um, or empowering, which is that, you know, there's a, there's a fight or flight response that our brain has. We feel that we're under attack. And if you are, if you have a lot of cortisol in your system, um, you can't recruit the necessary cognitive function yes. to do the best work. Yes. So there's a syndrome really, and Dan Goldman talks a lot about this in his work on emotional intelligence. There's a syndrome where in organizations that are highly dysfunctional, or I would say fear-based, um, everybody is sort of operating at less than full capacity because they're spending time internally sort of managing to the fear. Yes. I, I, and definitely, and, and not to mention the, the fight or flight, that's actually, you know, you're, you're in a constant state of stress, which is, exactly. not, which, is not good for, which is not good for your body ultimately. No, and that is something, unfortunately, that you take home with you and that continues over exactly. time to have detrimental effects on your whole system and on your overall health and well-being. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And your relationships at home as well, for sure. 100%. And yeah. people, don't, people don't recognize the, 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 just the, the magnitude that just having, well, you spend most, we spend most of our time at work, right? So um, people don't recognize, you know, all those hours that we spend and, and that constant state of stress and, and anxiety, it has to take its toll at some point. So that's not healthy. No, not at all. So it's heartening for me when I work in organizations where um, the leadership team takes the culture extremely seriously mm -hmm. and deliberate about creating an environment where they're, they're setting up the conditions yes. for people to do their best work, to feel that they can be who they are, and to do the kind of deep collaboration, frankly, that's necessary today for companies to be agile and innovative and competitive in a marketplace that's changing really, really quickly. Absolutely, which is why I, I'm so proud to 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 now be affiliated with um, Mobius. Um, yeah. For your recommendation, thank you so much, and uh, and it's it's been it's been great, and, and just going to to the next practice institute and getting that experience of just you know the the the, um, the commitment to just going deeper and just being more um, as you said your whole self and just just realizing the importance of just kind of spirituality and just connectedness it was it was an amazing time so anyone who's yeah. listening you should really check out the next next, next practice institute next year um, um at mobius but i do want to share too before i digress a little more how we met yeah yes so that's the topic of the show is networking so, <laughs> so we actually met because you actually coached my husband robert at his former company that's right yeah and so do you want to share your conversation and, and how that came about yeah. So, um, as you know, I was a, I was a coach for a number of years in a, a leadership development program for, um, media marketing executives. Mm -hmm. And Rob was, I think in the third or fourth cohort of people who I coached and, um, he was in Atlanta, you were in Atlanta at the time. And I remember we did a lot of our conversations by phone, but there was one of our meetings we did in person while he was in New York. And after that in-person meeting, he said, you know, I really need to introduce you to my wife. I, I know you guys will get along and she's, you know, she's in your world and you have all these similarities. And I was like, great. And then, you know, it didn't 
happened immediately. I think it was our very last session where he said, okay, and now that we're sort of concluding our work together, I'm going to really, truly introduce you to Dion. And that was, that was how we met. And then you ended up like coming through New York for a few hours and your way back. Yeah. And we totally hit it off. Right. We did. We really did. And yeah. the rest is history. It's, it's, it's been so great that you're, you're so amazing. I just, I just, I love you. You're awesome. Aww, so. It's a mutual fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so to the point of this, of this conversation, of course it's been pretty cool thus far, but networking. So I, I, I wanted us to share that story because if, if both of us kind of poo-pooed the idea of meeting each other and not recognizing the value of meeting somebody else in whether in your industry or not, then we would have missed a golden opportunity to have um, not only a professional relationship, but also personal. So can you explain like, what is the power of networking? Oh, there's so much to say about networking. And, you know, I sort of waver back and forth about whether or not we should even use the word networking. Like sometimes I think that it's so fraught with negative connotations. People conjure up this idea of like, I don't know, walking into some big antiseptic room with lots of people business <laughs> cards, right? Like milling around and trying to figure out like, who should I give my card to? Who should I try to meet? And I think that that, you know, out of the gate is just a really like, who would want to do that? It sounds awful. No wonder people say to me literally that they would rather get a root canal than focus <laughs> on their networking plan. I get it. And so I think, okay, let's just say that I would define networking or relationship building as a, an ongoing practice and really a mindset about the, the, the value of attending to constantly nurturing the relationships that you have, adding to your network in ways that are going to create value for you, um, bring inputs into you that will help you do the job that you have now better, that will help you um, if you're preparing to make a pivot down the road or think that you want to maybe um, eventually do something different than you're doing now. Finding people who are already doing that thing or who can be conduits and kind of pave the way for you to make that transition eventually. Um, all those kinds of relationships are important. I would also add, I think this doesn't get talked about enough, there's a value to pruning your network. It's not the case that people who were helpful to you at one time or who you have a historic relationship with, but maybe no longer are someone who you enjoy talking to or you enjoy spending time with, it's okay to, you know, not that you have to, like, in a harsh way, let that person go. Yes. You're dead to me, right? Not like that. But I, I think that you have to always be thinking from a sort of a future-oriented standpoint about who's in your network, who you want to continue to cultivate, who do you not know that you should know, yes. and then who are some people who maybe it's just not worth spending a very limited resource, which is time, right? None of us have enough time to do the That's things right. we need to do. We're the people that it's okay to not be actively um, maintaining strong ties with if you realize that that's no longer in your best interest to do so. And, and I, I, like that, I like that point. And I think even people that time we just meet. So uh, we had a conversation prior to today, and I, I'll, I'll give the example of going to a conference um, in Atlanta and sitting at a table, I think it was like breakfast or something, and the woman who sat immediately adjacent to me just completely ignored me, just dismissive, um, I would say cold, rude, it's like, I just, whatever. And I said hello, and, but it was, it was a very weird dynamic, odd. And fast forward to maybe a few, a few months later, and um, I got an email from one of, my, one of my friends, a colleague, 
um, who said, oh, I want you, I want you to actually introduce, I want you to meet this person. Uh, I just met her recently, and can you connect with her? So it turns out, of course, that it's the same woman who I sat beside at the conference in Atlanta who completely ignored me. So what do I do? Do I take the recommendation or, or take the request of my friend and, and, and meet with her and talk to her? Or do I just like go with my first instinct, which is to say, you know what? You ignored me the first time. So what's the point of what, why am I, why am I going there? So, um, I'm sharing that story because I actually did meet with her. And when I met with her, it actually confirmed my initial thinking, <laughs> which was that she, I, I, I found that the way that she treated me the first time, um, it was still very dismissive. And, and when I spoke to her, you can tell she was only about what she can get as opposed yeah. to cultivating a relationship. So that was a lesson yeah. for me. So when, you, wanna, you wanna chime in on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, really, it's a really unfortunate stance. Um, and I think ultimately it's a very counterproductive one for yes. anyone to take this idea that networking is about what's in it for me. And so I'm going to sort of single-mindedly pursue conversations or try to cultivate relationships with people who I think can give me something. Um, my partners and I at ClearPath did a newsletter over the summer that was uh, entirely devoted to the topic of networking because it's something that we have so many conversations with yes. um, clients. And I actually asked six people I know, six of the best networked people I know, to share some insights and mm. thoughts about networking for uh, my article and the thing that struck, well, there were a few things that struck me, but one of the most important um, sort of commonalities, I would say, across everything that each person said had to do with the idea that absolutely networking is a two-way street. And yes. honestly, like approaching any sort of initial conversation, uh, sort of hat in hand, looking for something to get from this person without having put any thought ahead of time into what can you offer, or really even, I mean, I think that what I would take away from what people said and the way that I've managed my own relationship building activities is to really take a long-term view. Like, go into a conversation with someone being curious. Mm -hmm. Who is this person? Where are they on their journey? Meet them where they are. They, they, they will inevitably have something to share. There's something you can learn from anyone, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Take that approach and you maybe come away from that initial conversation understanding what's important to them, um, what potentially they could be helpful to you on longer term if you maintain and cultivate that relationship, mm -hmm. and that's it. And, and I think sometimes too, people, are, uh, people feel that if they're meeting with someone or they've been set up in a meeting with someone who's much higher status, for example, okay. or very, very senior, uh, that, that they couldn't possibly have anything to offer that person. But it's never true. If you go into someone's office in particular, there are clues all around. You might see that someone's really interested in wine or that they're really interested in a sports team. And, you know, if you just ask some questions and make a, you know, sort of develop a personal rapport, you can get a handle pretty quickly on what somebody cares about. And I was talking to someone who, who did that. He, he met with someone, it was clear from the paraphernalia that they were a big wine fan, and he had just come back from a trip to Napa, and he had discovered this really cool little vineyard, and he followed up with a link to it and some recommendations of particular right. wine. And this person was thrilled, right? Mm -hmm. It's a relationship that's going to have legs because he was very generous about yes. hearing some information that he knew was going to land <clears throat> positively with this person who he just met. That's right. And, and, and as you said, to your point, being curious and paying attention, because if you, if you, like I always say, if you talk long enough, you'll find something in common with somebody. 
And yeah, so being a good listener, right? So, so relationship building is always about, I think, being curious, listening to what the other person has to say. And then, um, you know, there's a concept I think that's very important also in terms of preparing for any sort of networking conversation or let's say yes. informational interview even, which is knowing your ask. So, yes. you know, the rule of thumb is that you should know what your ask is and it should always be low enough that the person can meet it. So um, you are meeting with someone who's a friend of a friend and let's say they run, you're you're looking for a social media manager job and this person runs the social media department at a large company. Your ask cannot be, do you have a job for me? (laughs) Yes. Like if eventually the conversation moves in that direction and it results in you getting a job there, fantastic. Uh The ask needs to be something like, um, tell me about, you know, what some interesting trends are that you and your team are focusing on or grappling with where, you know, who, what are some sort of competitors that are doing interesting things? You want to be picking their brain. You want to be asking them questions that show that you're interested in what they are doing there and also interested in broadly understanding who they see as being sort of innovators or companies that are doing really cool stuff in the space who they might be willing to make an introduction to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Just information gathering and knowledge gathering. And also, of course, you want to demonstrate in the course of that conversation that you are, you know, up to speed. You're someone who does research, that you have been thoughtful about the questions that you're asking and you don't want to take too much of their time. And then depending on how the conversation flows, so you also really have to have your antenna out and be getting a sense of, what this person might be willing to do or not willing to do based on the dynamic and the rapport sure. that you built. You might, you know, you might be able to ask for a couple of specific names. If you see on LinkedIn that they know so-and-so and so-and-so at some companies you have your eye on, mm-hmm. you could, again, depending on how you read the tea leaves and where things have evolved, yeah. you could ask for something like that. So do you want to share that? The, 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 if, if you don't want to, it's fine. But do you want to share that, um, um, that anecdote where, where you met somebody uh, I think it was a coach and, um, you kind of shot for the stars and <laughs> well, yeah. So yes, I have many, uh, sort of abject failure stories, I think to share. <laughs> we all do. Yes. This one is, um, yeah, I think this one is illustrative of what I'm talking about. It's not just knowing your ass. I think it's also paying attention to timing of who you meet with when. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very, very early in my coaching career I think I hadn't even finished my master's degree and I, I hung out a shingle, um, but you know, it was obviously looking for clients looking for, I had some, what we call retail clients, people who were high, who had hired me were paying out of pocket, uh-huh. but I wanted to be doing more corporate coaching. And some, I don't even remember who a kind soul who knew me said, Oh, you know, I should introduce you to the person who oversees talent management and development at this big bank where I used to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that would be fantastic. Thinking already, like, that would be great. I know that these big companies have internal rosters of coaches who are kind of approved and vetted. And as opportunities come up, they, you know, match these coaches to senior people in the organization. This is a really big organization. Great. Uh-huh. Um, so this woman agreed to meet with me and you know, I guess my ask really was, can I be, you know, one of your go-to coaches on the list? And I think at that point, I didn't really have a good narrative about what, you know, my differentiator was as a coach. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I had a very robust or compelling story about 
um, why I was the right kind of coach to work yes. with kids in that particular organization. I, I'm quite sure that I wasn't able to really share um, in an articulate way my framework, my methodology, you know, my tools. Um, and then at the end, she sort of said, like, well, you know, I was happy to have this meeting, but, you know, I'm not, I don't really feel, I don't know you. I don't feel like I have a sense, a, a good sense of, you know, the kind of coach that you are. And at this juncture, I really don't think that I would be, feel comfortable <laughs> recommending you as a coach. Wow. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was very direct and blunt with me, but it was sort of like, go get some experience, go figure stuff out. Don't yeah. be such a huge neophyte. Um, and then, you know, I think she might have left the door open to come back and have a, a follow-up conversation at some later date, which I never did. You honest. never did. Would, would you Would you now today? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No hard feelings. I think, you know, I just didn't present myself well. I don't think I had any good questions for her. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, you leave your mind and replaying all the things you would have done differently if you yes. thought about it for five seconds more and been yes. a little more deliberate in preparing. Absolutely. Um, I, I love that you share that because, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult putting yourself out there. And, um, and also, but I think your, your ability to gauge another person is, is, is really um, um, an extension of how aware you are of yourself and, oh, yeah. and, just, and where, you, where you are in the, you know, the, not just the, the, the totem pole, but also where you are in terms of, as you said, what you, what you have to offer and, and do you know exactly what your strengths are and, and what, you, what you bring to the table. And, yeah. and sometimes people don't recognize that they don't necessarily know um, enough to go in a certain direction. So how do you advise people who, um, who don't recognize that they, that they have to do a little more learning and may not even be receptive to do a little more learning before they actually ask for the big thing? Right. Yeah, I think it has to be incremental. And so I usually tell people to create a big spreadsheet with everyone in their universe of potential um, people to connect with. Because I think people often think quite small and they think in a very um, vertical way, like who are my other colleagues or who are people who I run into at industry conferences who I see a lot. Um, and you're not thinking about the parents at your kid's school and you're not thinking about yeah. um, your, you know, I have a client who is so good at, at making introductions and connections come out of interactions she has with her financial advisor and her lawyer. And I think, honestly, her hairdresser at one point introduced wow. her. You can think really, you know, you can cast a very broad net, um, which, which gets us to this concept of the value of weak ties. So mm. often, um, especially if you're looking to make some sort of pivot or transition, the people who you know well, who might be your go-to people when you think about who... Um, Kind of who's on, who could be your ambassadors and be on your, you know, team uh -huh. as you're trying to gather information in the hopes of eventually making this move. They often swim in the same pool as you and have access to roughly the same information and um, know a lot of the same people. Yes. So they're really not as valuable as what we call weak ties. People who are in entirely different networks and, and maybe they're at the outer edges of your network to begin with. Uh, people who are in different careers, different industries, who have different backgrounds, who have already made the transition that you're looking to make, they are in a position to, I think, be much more helpful, frankly, in both 
listening to what you're trying to do and giving you advice about how you potentially do that. And then making connections or, or sharing ideas or even just like brainstorming and spitballing with you to figure out like what are some activities or strategies that you can do to get from A to B. And the other thing I'd point out is that it's often the people who are nearest and dearest who are most kind of invested in and have a subjective view of our identity, our professional identity, which is very much tied up with what we're doing now. So yes. it's like, but you're a lawyer. Why, why would you want to throw away all those years that you spent studying and, and give up that, you know, that partner um, <laughs> to, to go work in a startup, right? So that's also limited. Or, you know, someone, someone was telling me their mom was like, but you, you never even knew how to balance your checkbook. How could you possibly be trying to, you know, get a job in tech? Isn't that all about like numbers? So it's, you know, you want to find people who, who take what you're saying at face value and have that imagination and the ability to kind of like, like I said, brainstorm with you and help you move along the journey to gather information so that then you can have the higher stakes conversations Uh with the connectors and with the people who are really plugged in. Yes. When you are at a stage where you have a story to tell, you know what the ask is and you can be very specific about how they might be able to help. That's right. I love I love that advice, and, and I, I I really really firmly believe in it. And I'll and I'll share another category of people that you can also kind of look to if you want to reach out for help. And that's people that you've helped previously. Like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe that you should give to receive, um, but I'll give you I'll share a quick story that uh, I I'm actually working on a project, and um, I reached out to um, um, a woman whom I've kind of helped a few times with her diversity and her work, and uh, just kind of informally conversations and. And, um, and, but she's actually doing what I'm trying to achieve in my, in my, in my, in my project. So I reached out to her and she said to me, she goes, she goes, Dion, I'm so glad you reached out to me. And I said, really? She goes, she goes, I've been trying to find ways to help you. I was trying to find ways so that I can help you the way, the way that yeah. you helped me. And it was just so beautiful because, you know, as, as somebody, I know you're, 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 you're strong as well. Like sometimes, you know, you're, 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 you're strong and you're, you, you have your, your business and, and you're thriving and, and it's hard to ask other people for help sometimes. Yeah. It's very difficult to do that. And so, women, women in particular really struggle with that because it feels like you're, um, well, no, actually, I should say it's not just women. I, I've, I've certainly have had this conversation with men too, but there's mm-hmm. this idea that it makes you look weak or ineffective. Um, but the truth is that the vast majority of people love to give advice. Yes. And so if you can frame your ask, even as that, just like, wow, you're someone I've really admired from afar. I love, you know, the trajectory that you've had over the course of your career and the way that you were able to move out of, you know, a media sales role into financial advisory role. And now you're running this fintech company. Like any lessons learned to share? I'd love some advice from you as someone who's looking to similarly make a transition. People can talk for an hour about themselves. Absolutely. and doing a good job of listening and you follow up with a thank you note and you point out a few things that were really helpful that they shared with you and that can be the start of a beautiful relationship and you've activated this person now to be part of your change process hopefully so that if and as they hear about opportunities that kind of jive with what you've shared that you're looking for they'll think of you right and that's really absolutely yes I think there's one other thing that is important to mention because we're talking about relationship building, strategic relationship building in the context of transitions. Mm-hmm. But 
It's also incredibly important to think about cultivating a, usually a more diverse network in the organization where you're currently working. And so often when I'm working with executives or let's say high potentials who are being groomed for more senior roles in companies, one of the things that they're not always doing as well as they could is thinking holistically about the business as a whole above and beyond the functional role that they're in. Okay. And it's hard to do that if you don't get out there inside your company, inside your organization, and start to very deliberately go about learning about some of the other adjacent business units or groups or functional areas that have some bearing, frankly, or should, on how you do your job and how you think about the sort of overall business strategy. Yes. So I I often advise people to, if they're looking to think more strategically and think at a higher level, kind of from like a higher balcony when when they're considering both their own strategies for their business group, but also how they can add value across the organization more broadly and have more impact at the enterprise level. Uh-huh. Get, you know, get the lay of the land, start to, start to understand what the pain points and challenges and opportunities are of people in other business units yes. that um, you may know a little bit about, but only on a superficial level. And then see how you can help them and see how that informs the way that you start to think more broadly That's about right. your, the own work that your team is doing. Right? Sure. If yeah. you know, let's say that you work in a big media company and you're really focused on you know, your marketing campaigns, but you're not thinking about what programming is doing and what they're struggling with. But if you did know, it might actually be an important input to consider building campaigns. And you don't really know what like product placements are doing. You don't know that much about the social media side of things. You're missing a lot of opportunities to make your work better. For sure, for sure. Relevant, that yeah. kind of you know, in, a, in a way that lifts up and maybe solves problems for some of the other um, colleagues that you Absolutely. have. Absolutely, I love that. And then in addition to that too, it, it also exposes you to other areas and you can also recognize what skills you have that are potentially transferable and maybe other areas that you actually are interested in, maybe in, in maybe exploring, just, you know, you can, you can change departments. It's easier to change departments within a company um, than to leave in one company and go into a whole new job at a new industry. Um, so that's exactly. A- and that's something I always talk to clients about is like, before you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you may not be like super happy or see a path to bigger and better challenges in, you know, in your current role. But what else is out there in your organization that could be potentially interesting? And how do you, I mean, it's nice when you don't have a sense of urgency and you have yes. a job and it's not right. How can you sort of create this campaign mm-hmm. to learn more about other business units or other, um, okay. other parts of the company and then potentially make a leap over there, find a sponsor who will kind of take a bet on you or get on a cross-functional project, better yet, so that you start to meet more players in that part of the organization and then it's much easier to make that move. Absolutely. So it goes back to the word curious, right? Just being curious as to what's out there. And what's, what's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that. And, and, and speaking of which, so, you know, the part of uh, this conversation is about the, high, the side hustle as well. So if you, hustle, right. <laughs> so if you, make, if you keep that curiosity going and you say, you recognize, for example, hey, I'm, I'm good at, you know, making quilts. Why not look into that? Why not look into how you can actually create a business out of it or, or do, do some kind of side hustle? These days, as you said, people are not necessarily, they're not, they're not linear anymore. You have usually have three and four things going on at the same time. 
it's also it's also increase more security for yourself too if you're not complacent in one particular thing. But I think it's good to diversify. So what Absolutely. do you think? It's the same principle really as, as when you think about a financial portfolio, right? Like you want diverse mm. assets to That's hedge, right. you know, the stock market cratering or you know bond yields dropping. Um, and, and the same holds true really for the way that you think about the skills that you have and potential revenue streams that you might want to focus more on or less on some of them over time. But we are in this world now, it's called, you know, there's this term, it's a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Mm. What that means is that even if you feel in your job on a day-to-day basis that things are stable and solid, the truth is that, you know, that's not really true. <laughs> yes. Um, everything is constantly shifting. It's a very dynamic work environment. Entire industries are being disrupted, right? Yes. And so if you essentially have all of your eggs in that basket, everyone you know now is similarly out of work, professional, in the same career that you had, you're really going to be in a tough bind when it comes to finding what's next for you. But the beauty about a side hustle is that ideally it's something that you really enjoy. Um, You know, I've seen it, I've seen side hustles defined as revenue generating activities. I personally kind of brought in the funnel a little bit to define them as activities that, um, that you enjoy, that are, that are fun for you, that, that allow you to learn a new skill, yes. that maybe put you in a very different realm mm-hmm. with different kinds of people that you have access to in your, your sort of day job, um, that help you build a skill and that make you more versatile and well-rounded. There's also like a lot of research about the fact that the most creative people are people who cross-pollinate a lot. So if you're... Mm-hmm. You know, if you work at a law firm or you work at a bank or you work at a tech company and you're hanging out with engineers all day, um, you know, that's going to create some sort of, you know, group think, essentially. It's not going to expose you to some interesting ideas that people who move in other circles just, you know, have. And it's like air. It's the air you breathe. So you want to really diversify um, the inputs that you're getting. And you also want to continue to be on this growth path where you're learning new skills um, because eventually, and, and I see this all the time, and I'm sure you do too, we're all living longer. We're all, you know, working longer. This conventional notion that you would That's right. basically, like, choose a vocation and then just kind of ride this escalator up and move into more senior roles in that very narrowly defined career. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hit age 65 and get your watch and, and retire. <laughs> that that whole model has been blown up. Like that's wow. not, yes. that's not yeah. happening anymore. Right. So I think what's lovely about the fact that it's not happening, even though there's a lot of agita, I think anxiety now in this notion that we all need to be more entrepreneurial about how we manage our careers and be prepared to pivot and constantly be learning and growing and evolving is that our priorities and interests inevitably shift over time. Right. So, you know, we put ourselves on this path for a career typically when we're like 22 years old, right? You're out of college and you're, you say, I, I said, I, I'm a pretty good communicator. I'm going to go into PR, right? Well, I did PR marketing for a while. And then I thought, I don't really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. So if you're not creating inflection points where you can take a step back and take stock of what it is that you're doing, whether it still feels meaningful to you and whether it's yes. still enjoyable to you, mm-hmm. and you're missing opportunities 
to be, I think, curating a professional evolution that is aligned with how you yourself as a person are evolving. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind that ultimately you, you want to be working in an organization or with colleagues who are more mission-driven yes. and you're in a place where it's all about the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to pay attention to that. And a side hustle, um, maybe, you know, it could be even being involved in a nonprofit board That's or right. say that you're, you know, I mean, this is a true story. Someone had a child with pretty significant learning disabilities and in the course of managing that for her family and getting very involved in that community mm-hmm. uh, and, and getting an understanding of which schools were best for which types of, of disabilities, that eventually became this, this passion and she left her day job, she was a lawyer, and this is what she does now, she's an advocate for parents wow. with, who have children with special needs, right? And, and, and she couldn't be happier. That's so a lot of this, I think, paying attention to how the things that interest you and motivate you and, um, and, and that you care about are shifting over time and then finding ways either in um, evolving your job. It doesn't have to mean that you're leaving your organization. It doesn't have yeah. to mean you're doing something entirely different. Or, you know, really carving out time to have these side activities, hustles or um, passion ventures that are feeding and energizing you in ways that you're not going to get in your, you know, in your sort of standard normal paycheck job. That's right. I love that. I love that. So, so somebody listening and they are thinking about kind of moving out of what they're doing. They've been doing for 20 years, 30 years. They want to do something new. Uh, They have a small network of people or even a large one, what advice would you give to them? How, what would be the first steps for them to actually start making the, making, making progress towards kind of segueing out of to their, their original um, position? And this is, this is someone maybe who doesn't know what they want to do next. They just know that they want a change. From yeah, for sure. yeah. You know, when, you know, we have those, we all have those moments where you have a, you have an itch and you don't know where to yeah. scratch, but you know, it's, it's, it's time. So yeah. how do you advise people on that? I mean, I tend to think of this process as a scavenger hunt, right? And so I love you, that. You start you start where you are with it with the information that you have and you do some brainstorming. Um, you think about maybe everything, every fantasy you ever had about the jobs that you wish you had done, or if you have a friend who always seems to be telling you these great stories about what she's doing at work, and that you're sort of like, wow, why am I not? having experiences like that or having a chance to flex those muscles. Um, I think it's important to start opening the funnel really wide. So, you know, that dream of having a, you know, a quiche business, uh, you know, uh, maybe going back to school and becoming a teacher, whatever it is that you've ever thought about, just get it out there. And then, and then you can go through the process of winnowing. And I think the winnowing piece has to do with, okay, how much education is involved um, how much of a hit can I take financially? Am I the primary breadwinner? Am I in a position where I could theoretically go spend a year in Paris studying at the Cordon Bleu and then kind of taking my time about building a catering business because we've got money in the bank and that's not an issue? Uh-huh. Or is it more like, wow, whatever I do, I can't really afford for more than like three to six months uh-huh. to take any sort of hit in terms of what my monthly intake is because yes. that's going to 
really negative ramifications for our household budget. And mm-hmm. um, so you have to start layering the practical stuff too. Is there an educational component? Um, what are the skill gaps that I have that would prevent me from you know moving from here to there? And then once you've done all that, and, and I, there's an exercise I like to assign to clients, which is, I call it must-haves, would-be-nice, and deal-breakers. So it's thinking about what, without censoring yourself, what are the essential, like, most important aspects of whatever it is that I do next? And you could say, like, has to be 30% travel, um, has to be no less than 20 minutes, or no more than 20 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it ha- I have to be working with people who are mission-driven. Uh, what, you know, just, again, don't censor yourself. Put it all down in that column. The would-be-nices are more like, you know, it would be nice if I were making three to fifty thousand, but you know, it doesn't have to be that much. Uh-huh. It would be nice if it were a startup where I could bring my dog and they have beer on tap, but not essential. Um, and the final column is deal breakers. So those really are like, even if everything else was in one of the other two columns, if you are going to be taking a job with a boss who you suspect may be a sociopath, that's. <laughs> even if you can take your dog to work, even if you're on tap, even if, you know, on and on and on, that's going to be something that will ultimately not allow for a satisfying experience, right? Getting clarity on what that stuff is and then generating some hunches about what career path avenues to explore. Mm -hmm. That's really where you need to sort of take that wide funnel to get to the narrower kind of threads that you're going to start to pursue and explore and, and the criteria that you put into those columns are great talking points as you get out there with your network and say, you know, I'm looking at three different possible sort of next steps. Uh-huh. Uh, one is organic farming. One is to continue to do legal advisory work. And one is nonprofit focused on blah, blah, blah. And you can say, and, you know, what I realized is I really want to work in a small company, like a maybe post-series B company with no more than 70 people. I want to wear a lot of hats. I want to, right, the more that you can share with the people that you're talking to yes. uh, about what you're looking for, the more helpful they can be. Mm-hmm. So it's doing that work, and maybe you can have a thought partner or a coach to help you get to that place where you have these hunches or hypotheses about what could be good avenues to explore. And then honestly, like, being introspective too much beyond that point has diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. You cannot just sit in a room and have these conversations bouncing around in your head. You drive like, yourself crazy. You've <laughs> got to get out there. Yes. And you've got to start talking to people who are in the roles, yes. doing the jobs that you've identified as being interesting. Because either you're going to find, as you talk to them, that like, wow, what this person does all day is super cool. It's even more interesting than I thought. I definitely want to double down on, you know, this avenue. And conversely, you might have a conversation with someone about a job that seemed really sexy, you know, from a distance. And then when they tell you they do all day and it's like all about reviewing contracts or who knows. And you're like, oh, that sounds terrible. That's going the discard pile. Like that only happens through conversations and experiments. So, you know, the, what colors my parachute or just sort of thinking, thinking and doing a lot of assessments. You do some of that at the beginning, absolutely. But then you have got to get out of your office. You've got to get out of, you've got to get away from your computer mm-hmm. and you've got to go talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing I, would, I want to say about this whole topic of, you know, relationship building and, um, and networking and 
even side hustles is that things feel different. I mean, even the, this conversation is being filtered differently by anyone who's listening, depending yes. on whether they're an extrovert or an introvert. Uh-huh. Extroverts get energy from being with other people. So, you know, I'm an extrovert. I, I almost always, when I have a conversation with someone, leave feeling energized. But unless for some reason it was just uh-huh. a disaster or there, it was a dud or, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. sometimes I feel like, okay, that was a waste of time. But almost always there's some, there's some kernel, there's some takeaway. I've learned something or it made a light bulb go off in an unexpected way. But that's not true for introverts. I mean, introverts uh, find, can find those kinds of conversations, especially with people they don't know, draining. Very draining, so yes. If you're an introvert and you're building a networking strategy for yourself, mm-hmm. I think you need to focus on balancing the in-person conversations or the phone conversations with a lot of online research. Introverts love to do research and they're very good at it. Yes. So time on LinkedIn, maybe even like reaching out on LinkedIn to people versus uh-huh. posing having coffee um, and, and doing a lot of legwork mm-hmm. to try to get a sense of, okay, um, are there people who I can find who went to my university or who I'm a member of a tribe with for some other reason yes. who, could, who I could potentially find, you know, 20 minutes, um, to talk to on the phone with and, um, and maybe the bogey for what that person is looking for from a week on a weekly basis is maybe one conversation a week versus an expert who might be able to have three or four conversations a week or coffees. Yes. It feels different. It feels more onerous if you're an introvert to be having that on top of a day job. Yes. So I I love the fact that you put, you pointed that out because that this, that this shows that, um, people are different and you have to do what feels right for you and what feels comfortable for you. Um, and that's how you get the results that, that you want. And I just want, before we um, end the interview, I want to actually just um, raise some points. I, I um, pulled up an article um, from Harvard Business Review and they talked about the benefits of networking. And it says, um, uh, professional networks lead to more job and business opportunities, as we've been talking about, broader and deeper knowledge, improved yep. capacity to innovate, faster advancement, greater status and authority, and it improves the quality of work and increases job satisfaction. So I think we've been, we've basically, we touched on all those, all those um, benefits of networking and um, just putting yourself out there. A hundred percent. And I'll, I'll close with one story that I, I I'll always share with clients and I always think about. I was doing a 360 for a banking executive who was um, in the marketing group at an investment bank. And it was clear, like they were investing this money in her coaching. They saw a bright future for her. But from a relationship building standpoint, they were really concerned about her ability to foster connections with people. She had a high turnover on her team. Mm. So I was talking, you know, when you do a 360, you interview people, peers, direct reports, managers, And I interviewed one of her peers who was in another geography, so not in the New York office. And she said to me, oh my gosh, she's a total rock star. You know, if I need something executed really well, I would always go to her first. She said, but if she ever asked me to do a favor for her and somebody else who I know better, who when I'm in New York actually like invites me to coffee, asks me how my children are doing and makes an effort to have any sort of like small talk with me. That other person who I feel like I have a personal relationship asked me for a favor, I would always do the favor for that other person first. Because yes. we don't have a relationship. Mm. She's an actor, but she doesn't know me and I don't even feel like she wants to know me. 
And so I think it's a really good lesson at the end of the day in, in terms of thinking about how you approach relationships with anyone, including even people on your team. That's right. If you're not making an effort to really get to, to know someone, to understand their hopes and their dreams and, you know, their journey and their story and what's important to them, then I don't think that can even be the basis of a genuine relationship. Because I agree with you. At the end of the day, we're just all people. That's right. right. That's right. And if you're thinking about this transactionally, you're thinking about this superficially, yes. and you're never going to form those kinds of close bonds yes. that allow for you know the magic to happen. And and that and that you know kind of ties back to the, the story I shared about being at the conference and sitting beside that woman. I I, I went against my better judgment um, and wasted my I thought it was a waste of time. But now I know you know my Angelou says when people when people show you who they are, believe them, right? So yeah. <laughs> so I won't and do that. She also again. says my favorite quote of all by Maya Angelou is, "People might forget what you say uh-huh. and forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel." And Absolutely. Curious and who listens? Yes. And who's thoughtful in your engagement with anyone at all, no matter who it is. One. Yes. That will yield dividends. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And you don't know, and you don't know. Who knows who? You don't know. You don't know anybody. Just froze up. But you can't just prejudge people and, and, and assume that someone, oh, they have nothing to offer me. You have no idea what you can learn from somebody else. So, so um, I think that's a, a great way to end this conversation.